0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back in for the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Father Don he is Sean Fitz, coming to you live from Happy Valley, and I'll tell you what, you can feel the pressure ramping up on this Penn State football program as they make their way toward game number 11. Six and four on the season, ready to face the five and five Scarlet Knights of Rutgers. We'll have a chance to break down Rutgers in greater detail on this episode with Bobby Darren, who covers that program for 24 7 Sports Scarlet Nation. This is a team at Rutgers looking for bowl eligibility, a rare thing for them. But also, very tricky to figure out. They have had some peaks and valleys recently in Big Ten play. We'll hear about them from Bobby in a moment. But focusing right here, Sean, I said it, pressure is intensifying. Felt like the pressure was mounting after the Illinois matchup, understandably. And now, with a couple weeks left in the regular season, and still the external noise happening, and hearing from James Franklin again on Tuesday, it's getting very difficult to ignore.
1: Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of distractions out there and I think that there's, you know, a lot of that is, is, you know, stuff that they can control and stuff and some of it's not. Um, so you're, you're always going to have that, but yeah, it's about the the next one up. And this is a step on the throat game, to be honest with you. And this is one where you're the better team. You, you go in as a heavy favorite, you know, probably would expect a little bit more. Um, but it, it, it's really one of those situations where you just have to, to kind of block all that out and, and just, take control. And, and the last time that we saw that was, uh, was against Maryland. They did an okay job, but the time before that was Illinois. Obviously that's not the, the direction that they want to go to, but this is a week where you have to establish yourself as the better team. And, and, you know, you're not going to get a lot of credit if you go out and beat Rutgers, but at the same time you got to put yourself back on track. And that means asserting your will, you know, being dominant over a program that you should be dominant over. And um, right now it's, very much up in the air because this is a, this is a game that, uh, you know, they should win. This is a game that they've also had on their schedule before and and not one. So uh, really, really tricky line to walk here. James Franklin looks tired. Once again, he looks uh, distracted uh, a little bit in his press conference. Once again, again, when they get back on the field this week, they'll probably, you know, a lot of that will take care of itself, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's tough to watch because you, you thought this team was, uh, you know, would put itself in a better position and and block out the noise and use that one and no mantra. And it seems like you see that bleeding over every week.
0: You're starting to hear a lot of the same lines over again. And I know that happens at this point in the season, whether teams winning or losing, you start to hear some of the same things, but it's regarding some really apparent issues for this program. It's about looking for this step forward from the ground game. It's about searching for explosive plays from the offense uh, it's about Franklin pointing to his track record over the past eight seasons when asked about really next season, and so those things have built up and really dating back to September. And you said you want, you know, it's time for Penn State to go out and dominate a team. I think it's probably been since that October second matchup against Indiana where you could say they really had their way with the team. They, they shut them out. They actually went over 200 rushing yards. That's 46 days ago, Sean.
1: Had their way on both sides of the ball. That's the thing. Yeah, that's like, what they, I mean. Yeah. The defense has been very good very you know they've been great they've put themselves in a position to win pretty much all of those games but then again you got to be out there. you got to be you got to be scoring points these days and that's not that's not asking you to go out and score 42 points that's asking you to go out and score 24 20 you know and that's that's really kind of where the floor has been the last couple of years and you're not getting there this time and 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 I understand there's 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 a lot that goes into that but at the same time you have a lot of talent on this roster are you maximizing that that's a good question.
0: Yeah, and and it starts with your trigger man in this matchup. Sean Clifford at quarterback. Uh, Franklin described him as beat up by Michigan, which I think anyone who watched the game could have applied the same phrasing to. Seven sacks. Franklin said five other hits aside from the sacks. That sounds about right. A dozen total shots on your quarterback from Wolverines defenders over the course of that matchup. And I mentioned this last podcast Three runs of ten plus yards in the first quarter for Sean Clifford. Two of them moved the chains. You're you're thinking this is an element that we have not witnessed from Penn State in six weeks offensively. By the end of the game, that aspect was removed from what Sean Clifford could do for you, and from what this offense could get out of its quarterback. And you know you wonder where is he going to be? I don't know if it was a re- if it's a regression um, toward where he was uh, from a health standpoint because clearly he was in a good spot health-wise entering the michigan matchup i don't know if this is an attrition thing on the same injury or if there's new things that could pop up but i'll be very curious starting with our peak at practice on wednesday and certainly going through pre-game warm-ups on saturday how effective is sean clifford as a runner as a guy who can evade some pressure rutgers does not do a good job at all of applying pressure we'll talk about that with bobby darren in a little bit so probably a good week to face a defense like this but we've already seen what it looks like when Sean Clifford is severely limited that happened against Illinois. And we all thought Penn state was going to handle its business in a big way against Illinois.
1: Yeah. Two times he's been at his best this season. They protected him like gold against Auburn. And, you know, he he lit them up and, and kind of picked them apart, which we're not accustomed to seeing Sean Clifford do. And then at Iowa, that first quarter, you mentioned the three runs over 10 yards against Michigan. That's exactly what he did against Iowa. And when he was able to run around and move and, and do some things, they had a lot of success despite the two turnovers um, that they had. That first quarter is still a complete. Um, anomaly. I'm sorry. I was thinking of another word, um, but a, a complete anomaly of what what they what should happen on a football field. Um, but no, it's it, it's one of those things where you, you're not sure how much you're going to get out of him, how much you're going to squeeze out of him, and how much you can lean on him. And you're right, Rutgers does not get to the quarterback. They got three sacks in Big Ten play, um, 17 for the year. But uh, what it's it, it's really tough to 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 consider them a dominant line of scrimmage team as bobby darren will tell you coming up uh from scarlet nation um so this is a game that Penn state should maybe try to assert their will or they'll, they'll try to assert their will but they'll maybe have some success with it and it's i don't think it's going to make anybody feel better in terms of the penn state side of things but but if you can do or if you are in this position and you don't do it that's that's a huge red flag right there
0: while Sean Clifford has not been asked to be that major factor on the, on the ground, like we've seen him at different points in his career and earlier this season, they have thrown a lot on his shoulders, specifically his throwing shoulder. And and since he came back from injury, Sean, he's averaging 44 pass attempts in the last four games since returning from that injury, 18 sacks accrued along the way, seven, of course, against Michigan, but uh, four in another game, four in another game, three in another game, 18 Uh, And he's dropping back a lot. And we've already talked ad nauseum about the lack of an ability for him to consistently turn around, give the ball to a running back and think you're going to stay on schedule consistently as an offense. It's just a really tough spot to put a quarterback who, as your head coach just phrased it, was beat up last Saturday.
1: So I I think the good news here is it's not really scheme that's doing that. I mean it's it's not like they are confused by all these stunts and blitzes and everything like that. They just got their asses kicked off the edge. I mean let's let's be honest. You look at what uh, Ajabo and Hutchinson were able to do and phenomenal uh, efforts there. And and you know certainly criticism warranted for Rasheed Walker and Caden Wallace. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not anything crazy. Um, that's also the bad news, and that and that Rutgers is going to come out and maybe try and just do the exact same thing. Greg Shiano's, a phenomenal defensive coach. Um, you know they don't have the, the the dudes to get it done like Michigan did. Um, but if you're finding yourself at halftime and you've got two sacks, three sacks, something like that, that's a big, big problem. So we'll see how Penn State adjusts to that. And and I, I think that's that's kind of good news because. You know, you you can get away with, you know, Michigan can get away with rushing four and getting to the quarterback. I don't think Rutgers can do that. Um, so I think that's a positive for Penn State. You're going to see what they're they're able to do, maybe get a little bit more time. Um, big plays have been a part of what Rutgers, you know, in, in the games that Rutgers, they're, they're five and five, but they've been blown out quite a bit um, by the good teams in the Big Ten. By big plays and you know going to mention it later in the podcast but uh 274 yards passing for Wisconsin which is uh crazy to think about that Wisconsin team throwing for that much so you have opportunities you have the ability to get your playmakers into space give them a little bit more time and if Sean Clifford has a little bit more time I think they'll be okay Um, It's just a matter of getting there, getting those first 14 points on the board as we just, I mean, that was so key in the matchup against Illinois. You put 14 points on the board, that team can't come back. Rutgers is a similar, similar offense in which they don't score a ton. Um, So I think you have the recipe to get where you need to be um, and make this a win that's that that is comfortable. Um, You just got to be able to step on the gas early and get there.
0: And this has never been, for whatever reason, a, a series that Penn State, whether it's Trace McSorley or a healthy Sean Clifford, they, they do not show up to this matchup and put a bunch of points on the board offensively. You, you go back to to the 2017 matchup, 35 to six. They they put it on and late in that game. 20 to 7, 27 to 6, 23 to 7. Those are the recent scores in this matchup and, and we know right now Penn State not running or the ball at nearly nearly at the level that they were doing at the end of last season when they traveled to Piscataway they got a good performance that day uh from Kevon Lee, from Devin Ford, from Will Levis. It was kind of a lot a lot on the ground and not much else on a windy day in Piscataway and you you just don't think right now even against this Rutgers team you're not giving record or you're not giving Penn State the benefit of the doubt that they'll be able to accomplish something like that at this stage of the season and and that leads us right back to something we've talked about a lot the offensive line Caden Wallace did speak with us in, on a media call on Tuesday not an easy week for any offensive lineman to do that and certainly for Caden Wallace and thought he handled himself well he he talked about the tough lessons learned and carrying them forward. He was asked, by the way, long-term, does he see himself as a guard? Does he see himself as a tackle? What makes the most sense? says it's not something that he's really thinking about, um, and that was about it on that subject. But in terms of, of this matchup, yeah, if you're not feeling the experience of growing pains uh, and you're not feeling uncomfortable in that offensive line room from Phil Troutwine on down this week, you're not picking up the right <laughs> the right vibes around the situation and you're not being honest with yourself You know, he was asked, and I say he, Caden Wallace, was asked, is there something definitive that you can maybe put your finger on about why the rushing game has gone from producing 240 yards plus in five of the nine games last year, when defenses were having some issues during a pandemic year? Let's point that out. But to where they are now, not mastering anything, and 100 yards is a big deal, he he was pretty much speechless. And that's really where we we heard from Rasheed Walker a couple weeks ago when asked that question. Don't have an answer for you period, you know, kind of one sentence and and that's it. And, and you're not expecting someone to write up a diagram on what's not working, but the level of frustration that must exist right now for a group that has a bunch of starting experience from last year's team You've got a senior coming in from Harvard who, who was, you know, this is shaped up as his as his big launch pad moment or his last hurrah playing the power five game. And then you've got Juice Scruggs finally stepping up, former top-ranked Pennsylvania prospect. And I think Juice has done quite well for himself, and I'm curious to see if he sticks at center moving forward. But I think collectively there were just so much more expectations. You weren't throwing out a bunch of guys who have never played together, or never played college-level football, and, and keeping your fingers crossed. And this was year two with Troutwine. And that is exactly why when you think – Aside from James Franklin, where is the intense pressure being placed right now? It's on Phil Troutwine's doorstep in year number two after being hired away from Boston College.
1: Are you are you moonlighting for uh, Pro Football Focus? I saw the the Juice Scruggs thing. You see the Juice Scruggs thing yesterday, where he hasn't allowed a sack all year or whatever. That's, I did not, uh- but.
0: There, that's that's a, that's a nugget that
1: was that was that was certainly a nugget um and it's uh it's a it's a it's a good one um but yeah I mean that there, there's no answer for that offensive line worst part about this is I think they're gonna be able to run the ball this week I think they will run the ball this week and I think everybody's gonna say why where's that been all year um I think that's more a, a product of the matchup and product product of what they're they're gonna try to do um but uh it's it's just uh I don't yeah, we don't have any. Is Caden Wallace's speeches, Rasheed Walker's speeches. We're speechless. Unfortunately, we're a podcast, so we can't be speeches. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't know where to put it. Um, you, you're yeah. wondering where Mike Miranda's health is going to be in, and, and like you said, we'll probably know a little bit more about uh, this this evening at practice, we go out there You see where Bryce Hefner's at. You see if Olu Fashanu, who's not dressed on Saturday, see if he's out there, see if Landon Tengwall's in the mix. We'd love to see Landon Tengwall um, get get mixed up in there. And, and I don't think he's an answer as a starter, but I just, you know, you want to see what you have from him uh, for a guy that was uh, that highly touted of a prospect and and then go from there. So, um, you know, hopefully Penn State's able to assert its will, as you say, Be they, they have been more physical, as we mentioned last week, didn't run the ball half bad against Michigan, but, you know, the, the expectations at Penn State are a lot higher. So we will see as that continues to uh, to move along where that's going to go. And as you mentioned, the explosive plays in the run game are what's kind of keeping this one back. I mean, you can talk about average per carry and everything like that, but you add a 35, 40-yard run in there. That changes things dramatically when you're looking at that. And and it's not like, you know, this is the funny thing that, that when Saquon was here, you know, uh, fans from other programs would be like, well, he gets bottled up and then he has an 80 yard run. Well, those 80 those yard runs count as part of what you're doing. Um, so you would like to see that worked in. And, and, and again, um, Franklin hammers at home as much as he can. This is not an explosive offense. They want it to be an explosive offense. That's been the hallmark of what they've done over the last several years. And they're just flat out not getting it done on that in that area.
0: I know for a lot of people, the biggest takeaways from yesterday's press conference was more about the distraction aspect and and the 2022 speculation stuff. To me, it was repeatedly once again hearing James Franklin point to the lack of explosive plays and, and, and him mentioning predominantly that's about what's happening on the ground and what's not happening on the ground. But overall, this offense isn't producing enough explosive plays. And I'm thinking here you are in game 11 of the season and the paramount issue that your head coach is pointing to on what's gone wrong and why you're at six and four is that there needs to be more explosive plays from an offense. You just made a huge offensive coordinator move for the second consecutive offseason in the process, firing the guy you hired in 2020. And yet this is the conversation right now. As you finish the regular season, that's difficult to reconcile. And to me, of anything, the quarterback room and the fact that Franklin himself is, is calling for more explosiveness from this offense is really probably the, the most damning aspect. If people want to say what's gone wrong for James Franklin, it's back-to-back blockbuster offensive coordinator hires. I'm not pulling the plug on Mike Yurcich. I think he's a phenomenal mind, but they haven't found a way. They haven't found a way to recalibrate this thing since Sean Clifford got hurt. Quarterback room's a huge issue. That's on Franklin. That that requires a lot of foresight, Th- Then and they got to the finish line here, and they entered the season w- w- clearly with not the pieces in place that they needed a quarterback, it seems. Sean, the, the fact that they're talking about the offense as as a hindrance right now and where Penn State wants to get to, what 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 are we talking about? Where do we go from there with, with the conversation?
1: I agree. They should run the touchdown play more often is what you're getting at here. Um, I mean, like come that, on, that- man.
0: Because I, I, I don't want to hear – I know you're not going to say it, but I, I had people responding to me on Twitter. Well, you, you know, Yursich can't block and run for guys. No one is going to feel bad about a lack of talent in Penn State's locker room right now. And, and also – who has been responsible for piecing together this roster, the the, the entire staff. I know yours has just showed up to the scene, but there's this weird kind of disconnect I've heard where, well, you can't really put it all on the coaching staff because players got to make plays and players got to be better. They keep playing a lot of the same players game after game after game. And oh, by the way, this is the staff that handpicked these players out of high school or out of the transfer portal. So I don't really understand. It's not like they inherited this group. I just have a hard time figuring out. I know it's, I know it's not as simple as dial up the touchdown play, But the offense has been an issue. We just went over the the defense and the points they've given up. That needs to be enough to be better than six and four.
1: Yeah, and that one goes to the top. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, that's the that's the guy building this roster, or or, you know, that's the ripple effect of building this roster. And you know, I don't I don't know that there's an answer. the 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 problem that I see here: uh, too much reliance on Jahan Dotson, waiting for him to make the play, and then the guys that have missed plays in in the last couple of weeks have also made plays for them this year. Keandre Lambert Smith disappeared last week. Um, He was a guy that you know has made some big catches. Those tight ends have been very very much up and down. The running backs more so in past years, than in this year, so you've got guys that you think can play, and you're 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 just not getting it there. Um, some of the execution, um, I agree. W- I agree with Franklin on this. But particularly, the execution has not been crisp. Um, and then that's sort of you. You kind of see an avalanche rolling down the hill where you know you drop a pass on first and ten, and all of a sudden you're behind. The you're behind, and then now you have to call the game differently. And it's and it's a ripple effect. I I, I think you're you, I think you nailed it to be honest with you because it's it starts at the top. It starts with Franklin, no doubt about it, but. But there's got to be accountability at every level. There, I mean, Mike Yurishich, Phil Troutwine, these players um, that you know are, are in the wrong spot, uh, you know, or, or the players that are in the right spot, just not you know executing. We mentioned uh, the drops by the tight ends; they've been huge this year. There, that's probably two games, swinging two games right there. So, uh, I don't really want to throw too much on anybody, but you can just throw a little bit on everybody because it's been—I don't want to call it incompetence or anything like that—but it's been at times just one's been flat the other's been good you know you, you flip that around the next game and and you're not getting anything out of your wide receiver you know it's it's just, there's so much going on and so much just falling short that i don't know that i don't know where you lay the the foot of the, the where you lay the blame at the foot of unless it's james franklin
0: and I just think it's a difficult time if you say, OK, what what was the big step forward for your offense in year one with Mike Yersich after you made this you know, very, you know, very I know it was a not a brash decision, but it was a loud and bold decision by it James Franklin old. last yeah. January. Yeah. So to, to where, where did you make the biggest strides? I think saying uh, using that first five games and a quarter of Sean Clifford's season and saying, look how Sean Clifford bounced back that's not much of a life preserver when you're dangling in the ocean right now, because that doesn't help you much. It was a great story. It was developing, but if that's what you're hanging your hat on as wh- this is where the- this offense took a step forward. Sean Clifford had a big bounce back for five, five games in a quarter. That's really what it is right now, Sean. I mean, that's what people are going to point to, the the job he did at quarterback. And that's good news because you're bringing in two good quarterbacks here and two potentially really good quarterbacks, the number one guy in the country. Quarterback is the main thing. It's the buzzy thing with Mike Yursich, and and the room has not been great by any means. But Clifford certainly has shown sign of improvements. But as we get to the finish line, it's like, okay, Jahan Dotson was going to do his thing. This is a guy who's going to blow up. He did it last year for Kirk Chiracca. If Kirk Chirac is here again, I have faith that Jahan Dotson is going to have a big season. But the ground game has plummeted off the side of a cliff. Sean Clifford hasn't been able to rebound. They didn't have a solution when when Sean Clifford was injured. Now he's not at full health again. And I'm just trying to find like the definitive signs of forward momentum gained by making that huge move to bring in Mike Yursich, which James Franklin clearly pinned a lot of his fortunes to.
1: Yeah, and a lot of it doesn't make sense because – you you didn't fix Sean Clifford. There's still elements of, of his 2020 game in there, um, obviously, but you turned it around and did a really nice job with that. Um, got him. I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call it his maximum capability because of that injury against Iowa and everything like that, but got him to the point where he's beating Auburn doing a, a really good job with that. Um, but the rest of the offense do, didn't come along with it, which just doesn't make any sense. Right, I, I don't, right. I don't know, I don't know where the disconnect is, and you know, a lot of that's going to go in the running game and things like that, and rightfully so. Um, but it's just. You, if you you if you told anybody this summer that you could turn around Sean Clifford, you'd think you got an offense that's gonna score 35, 40 points a game because he's he's able to to pull the strings and, and get guys where they need to be. It just hasn't been the case. And it's just that's the real um just, just kind of um mystery of this entire season. It's just what yep. where where are the the misses, the the little misses and the big misses. Um you can see the big misses, but where are the little misses that make this a team that probably should be averaging 30 points a game, and it's averaging, what, 18 points a game or something like that.
0: When we envisioned what this offense might look like and where it could take off, it was more so, you know, the, the sled dogs in front of Sean Clifford, him sitting in the seat, and he's, and he's, and he's, and he's, uh, and he's riding that. And he's got these great players that he can he can work around with. He's got an experienced offensive line. Instead, it's been Sean Clifford kind of bringing up the charge and pulling guys behind him. And I don't want to say John Dotson because th- that's not the case. John Dotson does his thing every game. But it's really been relying on Sean Clifford doing the heavy lifting if this team wants to have a shot to win and this just has not worked out, and, and we got a lot to figure out with, with this offense. There's two more weeks. We'll talk about Penn State more in a moment, I promise, but let's discuss Rutgers right now uh, and turn gears with our next guest. All right, let's talk about this matchup coming up on Saturday. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights at 5-5 five and five, traveling to Beaver Stadium looking for their first win in this series since joining the Big Ten back in 2014, and Bobby Darren is joining us now from 24/7 Sports. Scarlet Nation has spent a long time covering these Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Uh, mm-hmm. We had him on the the podcast last year. It's certainly, a different scenario for college football and for both these teams. Once again, Bobby, we appreciate you hopping on with the Lions 24/7 podcast to preview this matchup. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's always good to hear from you. And the circumstances a little bit different right now for Rutgers in year number two under Greg Schiano, coming in at five and five. We'll talk about how they got there, but. First things first, this is a team that is one win away from bowl eligibility, two weeks to do it. It starts with this matchup at Penn State, certainly a difficult task. What, uh, what would that mean if they're able to get to six wins, and how
2: difficult do you think it might be to get there? I mean, you know, getting to six, it's going to take, it's going to be a challenge. Getting to six by beating Penn State would be like a dream scenario for Rutgers fans here. Um, You know, it's been a long time since they've beaten Penn State, 1988. You know, Greg Ciano talked about it earlier this week. Um, But, you know, just to get back to bowl eligibility after you know, the Kyle flood and Chris Ash eras, it was kind of some dark times just to get back to a bowl game would be a monumental feat in year two of this. What's considered a pretty massive rebuild for Greg Ciano, um, after uh, Penn State Rutgers has a season finale at home against Maryland. And, you know, looking at it on paper, that looks like a lot more manageable that game. But um, you know, the players are excited being there at practice this week. You know that they're they're looking forward to the challenge. This team plays better on the road. Um, Greg Schiano has not won a Big Ten game at home since he's been back this year. Both wins in the Big Ten came on the road at Illinois and at Indiana. So it's um, something about. It. I asked the players about it yesterday, and they, they they like playing on the road. They come in with a chip on their shoulder. They like the environment so um they're going in confident I mean and they know it's a tall task as well
1: they're coming off a big win at Indiana as you said w- what was clicking for them I mean obviously you look at the the box score and the, the highlights and everything like that but what was really going for Rutgers in that game and how did they just make it a decisive victory and in, in what I think people expected a close game there
2: well they they had six turnovers you know Indiana shot themselves in the foot quite a few times but Rutgers when they don't turn the ball over you know they win and, and when they get turnovers that they're a different team and and Greg Schiano spends a lot of time in practice you know drilling turnovers ball security you know tells everybody the ball is the program it's kind of metaphorical as well um but you know, they're, they're at their best when they're when they're humming on defense because this is not an offense that's going to light up the scoreboard. So uh, it starts at the line of scrimmage. When the defensive line plays well, it kind of transcends back to the second and third level. But, you know, for Rutgers to have a chance in any of these, uh, you know, following games, Ruck, uh, Penn State and, and Maryland, they need to play well at the line of scrimmage. And as you guys know, last year when Penn State played Rutgers, uh, Penn State just owned the line of scrimmage.
0: Bobby, I'm looking at, at Rutgers' schedule here. They start 3-0, non-conference wins over Temple, Syracuse, and Delaware. A, a, a close game, ultimately, on the road at Michigan, 20-13. to But then they get smoked by Ohio State. Michigan State has their way with them. Northwestern wins 21-7. to They rebound on the road, as you mentioned, at Illinois. They, they they snap that 0-4 start in the Big Ten. Illinois was coming off of a win against Penn State. Was that kind of a pivoting moment for Greg Schiano in, in the program? And then – how hard is it to really say that when they come home and lose 52 to three against Wisconsin? Where's the disconnect? What are we missing? Because that no. is sandwiched in between these Illinois and Indiana wins.
2: Well, the, the Illinois game was coming off a bye, so Rutgers had a week to heal up, kind of regroup, recharge, and Illinois was coming off that win over Penn State. It was kind of a perfect scenario for Rutgers in that situation. You know, it just set up well. You know how week-to-week college football, your momentum's a funny thing, and that was just set up well. And even with Indiana, you know, they played them at the right time of the year. Indiana, you know, not, not to take anything away from Rutgers' win, but Indiana was, was you know— they, they came out, they fumbled on the first possession, and it just seemed like they went into a shell after that. But, um, you know, it's set up favorably, and, and, you know, Rutgers got some breaks. That Michigan game, they played really well. And then, you know, Ohio State and Wisconsin, they're just bad matchups, and there's just too much of a talent gap in those games. Northwestern, they, they just did not play well. It was, you know, the seventh straight game. Uh, they were looking forward to a bye week, and, and that was bad timing, and, and they, just, they just did not play a good game.
1: Bobby, just where where is this rebuild? You mentioned it earlier, but stacking Chris Ash on top of Kyle Flood is, is not a good was not a good recipe for anybody. <laughs> where where are they at? And how much has the talent that Greg Shiano, the younger guys on the roster, how much has the talent that he's brought in sort of made up that gap? Are they ahead of schedule right now?
2: I think they are. I mean, you know, I think they they played a little over their heads last year with the three wins. You know, they started off with a win against Michigan State in the first game of that COVID season. But Michigan State turned the ball over seven times in that game. You know, they played Maryland and Maryland had some COVID guys, you know, guys out for COVID and, you know, they took advantage of that. So they won some games and, and they, I think they gave people some, some expectations that were higher than what was realistic because it was a massive rebuild. I mean, Chris Ash was recruiting guys that, you know, the guys would transfer out and they wouldn't be starting on one double A teams. And, you know, you'd see guys going to D two teams and the, the talent just wasn't there. So you tried to go into the transfer portal, had nine guys the first year, five this past year. You know, a few of them worked out, a lot more really didn't. Um, you had some serviceable guys, but it just takes time. And and one of the biggest problems with the rebuild is they really had to revamp the offensive line, and and there's no quick fix for that. So that's been a work in progress. You know, you had, you have guys starting on the offensive line now that were defensive linemen, you know, when they came in, Troy Rainey is, was starting and and he was a defensive lineman that came in as a Bowling Green recruit last year, a Bowling Green flip, you know, Um, Ireland Brown started this year and he's now he's a starting left guard. He's, He started at defensive tackle and played on a defensive line against Temple. Now he started the last four games in the interior for Rutgers. So you're kind of seeing them trying to piece together something formidable on that offensive line. They're playing better, but as you know, it takes time to grow that.
0: Last year, Penn State traveled to Piscataway at one and five. They had picked up their first win at Michigan. We're looking to gain momentum, but felt like a pretty sweet spot for Rutgers to be able to pick up a win of any kind against the Nittany Lions program that they have been able to do that against. Instead, Penn State outscores them 17 and nothing in the first half, ends up winning the matchup 23 to seven, really leaning on the ground game late, windy day. How disappointing was that moment in year one? And what are you hearing from Greg Ciano uh, about that R word that he's mentioned a few times? And I'm not talking Rutgers, but in terms of their relationship with Penn State.
2: Um, you know, he, you know, he, Greg tries to focus everything in hand, you know, he'll say, you know, you know, all the history with him there and everything. And, and he has a lot of respect for the program and, and that's where you got to start as his first assistant coach. So, um, you know, he knows it's going to be a tough task. And, and I mean, you know, there's th- these guys, these coaches scheme all week, you know, how many hours they work, but there's really nothing that can replace their big guys, pushing your big guys around. And basically that's what it's going to come down to. But, um, you know, it's it's exciting for the team to travel up there, for him to go there. Like I said, it's a lot of nostalgia. But, um, they know, it's going to be a tough task because, you know, it's going to come down to just moving those big guys. Yeah, the R mm-hmm. word, by
0: the way, just to clarify, with Sean on the podcast, of course, um, got to say rivalry because Shiano was asked about, can you create some kind of rivalry? Penn State, I don't think interested at all in that. Rutgers will be very interested. But Shiano mentioned a few times early on this yeah. week coming out of last week, that, that requires some wins on both sides to create something like that. Right now, do you feel like is Rutgers equipped to come up here and score points against Penn State? That is the question for me when I look at the last few games, even when they've won games against Illinois and Indiana, uh, they don't go for more than 140 passing yards from their starting quarterback. They don't go for 100 yards from their starting running back. So where are the points going to come from if they can hit the road here? Because the Dandy lines have been streaky offensively, but defensively, been quite consistent from game
2: one through game ten. That's a good question, you know. And every week, you try and find it. You know, they 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 weren't averaging a heck of a lot of points coming into Indiana. It was eleven points in the Big Ten contest per game. So it was tough. Points are just really tough to come by, and and part of the reason, as I mentioned, was that offensive line. You know, you don't get a lot of time to to throw the ball. You know, have room to run the ball. I mean, what are you going to do? And um, you know, some of the receivers struggle with separation. No, Vedro's a good quarterback. He's uh, in terms of being a tough guy, a leader, but he doesn't have that cannon of an arm where he's going to just fit balls and tight windows. And um, you know, it's it's going to be tough. And and you know, to touch on your point about the rivalry, I'm sorry, um. You know, Greg said, you, you have to start winning games. You have to start being competitive. Because everybody always asks, who's going to be a rival? Who's going to be a rival? He said, we can't force a rivalry. We have to have some good games. And, and, and you know, and, and people would try and say Maryland and Rutgers because it's East Coast, whatever. But um, but when it comes down to score, and tie, um, it, it's, it's tough to go by. I mean, you know, they, they ran some, you know, a lot of trick plays last year in there, gadget plays. Uh, their second best receiver is out for the season. And Aaron Krushank, you know, the Wisconsin transfer um it's just it, it's going to be tough going to find the end zone on Saturday. You,
1: you go through the stats, Bo Melton really jumps out, just uh, accepted a senior bowl invitation yesterday. He's had a productive career um at Rutgers, 48 catches this year, three touchdowns. I mean, is that is that going to have to be the guy? I mean, they they it seemed like they tried to force feed him a bit last year, um had a little bit of success, but is he going to have to be the guy that that has to break Penn State?
2: he's easily the top playmaker. And and yeah, he's going to, you know, have to have to have a big day. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, he's their go-to guy and he's really developed under this new staff. I mean, came in as a four-star and, and didn't have the numbers, but the offense was just bleak, um, you know, really bleak before Greg Shadow arrived. And Melton's really kind of come out of his shell and, and he's really played well. And he's going to be the guy they really look to quite a bit uh, throughout the day in the passing game. And he's really one of the only guys that can stretch the field and and make those big downfield plays. What is uh this? What do the Scarlet Knights bring to the field right now
0: defensively? What is working? What is consistently not working? And how is their punter part
2: of that whole plan on defense? the punter is, you know, every week he ask about him and he's just, and you even ask Greg Ciano, he's, he's phenomenal. I mean, this guy. Just, Franklin, Franklin raved about him yesterday in the press conference. Oh, uh, he's, he's really good. I mean, he just, his positioning of the ball and, and, you know, if, if he sees a, uh, he has some time to kick it, he'll wait and run to the side and boot it. So like he's leading the nation in net punting. So, um, he down they don't not one touchback this year. So when you watch him, he's kind of I always say he's surgical with it. Um, he just he's really he's a weapon for them, you know. Prior to to Shadow's arrival, he was the best guy on the team. We we're writing about the punter every week. Imagine that. Um, so uh he, he's really good defensively. It starts up front. If they can control or or get some. Get some push at the line of scrimmage, um, then then it, it's like I said, it filters back. The secondary's had some injuries. It's it's been a work in progress this season. Uh, linebackers have played well, but um, it really starts up front. If, if they get pushed around in those trenches, it kind of filters back, and and, and it's going to be a long day. But you're starting to see some younger guys emerge. Aaron Lewis, uh, defensive end, you know, was a Michigan transfer. Um, he's starting to play really well. Keontae Hamilton, true freshman, who's was also in a, a, a national renowned wrestler is really playing well to defensive tackle position um so you're starting to see guys in there julius turner is a six-year guy makes a lot of plays smaller undersized but but plays his cock noses and they, they slant him and, and he, he's been doing really well under shiano so um if those guys can can get some semblance of a push uh, that's where it begins but if penn state comes out and just starts pushing them backwards forget about it
1: what about the back end of that defense? I'm looking at the Wisconsin box score, which was not pretty for anybody, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But Wisconsin threw for 274 yards, which is like a normal program thrown for about 400. So, <laughs> how, how does that secondary and the back seven, in terms of uh, giving up big plays, and is is that the thing that you know Penn State is going to go out? You think that is, is that what you think Penn State is going to go after with with John Dots and Parker Washington, those guys?
2: I think they'll they'll you know they'll try to expose it, but I, I think you know. Th- their their focus, I would think, it would be on the ground and then try and open up the passing game. But you know, Max Melton is is the best corner in secondary. Bo Melton's brother. Um he's a guy who's been, you know, he had a three game suspension and then had a uh, injury, was out of game, but he's been the most consistent corner. But some of the other guys have been victimized in the past game and And um, like I said, you had some injuries back there, but I could see them, you know, if they start running the ball, open things up. And Trey Avery's been a guy that's been victimized all season long with big plays. Even Indiana had a 46-yard play on him last week to set up their only score of the day. Michigan State was running wild on him. So I I could see them targeting him quite a bit throughout the day.
0: How about Rutgers ability to apply pressure on the opposing quarterback only 16 sacks through 10 games that number does not jump out by any means I think it's 12th in the Big Ten Conference, but we're talking about a Sean Clifford who's coming out of a game in which he was beat up pretty badly, not really sure how functional he'll be as a runner as an escape artist, what can Rutgers do and has that
2: ultimately maybe been an issue for them defensively not getting to the quarterback. Well, they don't have a prolific pass rusher that's going to demand double teams and free up other guys and and be a guy who's going to get multiple sacks per game. But so what they do is try to disguise blitzers, bring pressure from different angles, and and really try and win the numbers game in in that regard. So you'll see them try to be creative with the schemes when it comes to bringing pressure. It'll come from different areas, different guys, and there's not just one guy to watch for, but rather it's a schematic thing. And, and Graciano's always been pretty good at dialing up blitzes of that nature. He has hasn't had even in the first time around, you probably remember back to he hasn't had that that guy that was that super pass rusher that you were like, wow, he's had some decent players, but you know, not that first round NFL draft pick defensive end who's just, you know, gonna destroy team destroy offenses. So uh, you'll see him try and disguise things and be creative and crafty with it. Six of those sacks came
1: against Syracuse. Is that kind of what the the formula was there, just to to go off mm-hmm. everybody? Or I mean, Devito obviously not uh, not the most fleet of foot back there, but still six sacks, six, six sacks out of sixteen jumps out from from yeah. looking at the game to game.
2: Bringing pressure, thinking back, like I can't remember the one guy who was like, wow, he was really killing it that game. And, it, you know, it was it was different pressure from different guys. You know, sometimes guys coming free because they were overloading one side and and Syracuse failed to pick up a lot of those blitzes. It was more of a hey, I'm, I'm going to beat you at the chess game here and, and, and my guys are going to win because we have a numbers advantage. You mentioned that last year
0: the offensive line for for Rutgers let them down against Penn State. I think that's probably been the case uh, the last few times they've met. Rutgers has really had a problem generating momentum and generating drives. Has that changed in notable ways this year, or do you still look at the offensive line
2: as as an albatross in this
0: matchup for Rutgers?
2: Well, they were mixing and matching. First seven of eight games, you had a different alignment of offensive linemen. Some of the same guys started, but they were moving them around. So the last few games, you've had the same guy starting. So you're starting to see them, you know, start to gel a little bit. But I mentioned, you know, you had some of these guys. Um, I mean, they're starting right tackle. Holland Pierce came in as a walk on. He's a red shirt freshman, came in at 400 pounds and dropped to about three 2330. And, you know, he's starting for the first time at right tackle. So there's a learning curve there. You know, uh, I mentioned Troy Rainey and Ireland Brown. These are guys that were former defensive linemen. You know, it's as early as this year. uh, Your left tackle Raquan O'Neill is playing a lot better. He was injured earlier in the season. Very athletic guy. Uh, had like over thirty offers coming out of Conway, South Carolina. He's got a touchdown so, too, doesn't he? Yeah, he had. A, <laughs> last week they, they had. Well, it wasn't actually a pass. It, you know, it was it was a lateral. It was one of those ones that you know just behind the line of scrimmage, and he ran it. But very athletic, and he's been playing a lot better since he's returned a few weeks ago from from his injury. He was, you know, he was playing banged up. He had that bye week to get off uh, to heal up, and he. He's been playing a lot better. So this line is starting to gel. Now they're by no means a, a group that's going to be considered elite in the Big Ten at this point. But you have a lot of, you know, you have a decent amount of youth on there. And, and these guys are starting. It's starting to click for them a little bit. So um, they're getting better. Um, it, like I said, it, it's going from Indiana to Penn State is going to be a huge challenge. So I'm curious to see how they how they stack up. But, you know, it's a lot to expect them to go in and push push those guys around.
0: All right, Bobby, it's Wednesday morning. I get it. We've both got a lot to learn about our teams on the beat this week. But when you look at this matchup in a few days from now, where do you lean at this point uh, in terms of what kind of game it will become?
2: I think it's going to be one of those, you know, ground games, cold. I don't know what the weather is. You guys look at the weather yet? Yeah, it's cold. probably cold. It's November. Cold. Yeah, it. Okay. well, I, it's funny because you know I'm looking tomorrow. It's going to be 70 and weather schizophrenic here. You know, so, um, uh, but I, I figure it's going to be one of those you know those fall November games. of You know, gray cold day that where you run the football and and you know on record side it's just it's tough to compensate for uh, enough another line that's bigger and stronger and and I think they'll wear them down. Penn State's just going to wear them down. You'll see much of similar what was last year and Rutgers has a tough time scoring points every week I will do these previews and I'm thinking what am I going to pick for a score because how are they going to how are they going to score they scored 38 points last week but you know six turnovers Indiana kind of rolled over after after a while and, and and you know not like I said not to take anything away from Rutgers but um you know, they're not a team that's going to put up 38 points every week. So I think it's going to be tough to score points for Rutgers to hang around. They're going to have to get some turnovers. They're going to have to do a, you know, bend, don't break defense in, in, some, in some instances and, you know, force a field goal here. You know, don't let Penn State in the end zone. But um, it starts up front. Like I said, that defensive line, if that defensive line plays well, Rutgers can hang around for a little bit. Well, we appreciate your perspective, Bobby.
0: We'll see what happens on Saturday. Thanks for your coverage uh, from scarletnation.com at 24-7 Sports. We'll talk to you next year. Another matchup awaits. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Bobby for breaking things down on the Rutgers beat. Sean, a few more notes here from Penn State land before we talk five-star mailbag. Senior Bowl invites extended and accepted for three different members of the Nittany Lions roster. Jaquan Brisker, it's his second time picking up a senior bowl invite. Arnold Ebikade, whose stock is soaring, eight and a half sacks now on the season, and then Jesse Lucchetta, who's got a decision to make, much like Brisker did this time last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good step forward for those guys. I wouldn't be surprised to see another uh, invite or two accepted, but uh, yeah, hopefully we can get Jim Nagy on here to talk a little bit senior bowl. Um, but yeah, I mean, those guys obviously have really, really helped themselves. I mean, you, you think about the, the move that I guess the move that all three of these guys made. I mean, Brisker coming back, a a mid round pick, a mid to late round pick last year. Kind of gonna definitely gonna move up. Gonna test well. Ebikidi, um, man, that move. Unbelievable move for him. I know that the people have been asking about uh, you know, he still has a year left technically, but I don't understand why he would why he would come back. I don't think he's gonna be the guy that's gonna vault himself into the first round. Now Penn State would love to have him back. Um, but I don't think that was gonna happen. He's he's just been tremendous for Penn State. And as I said on Twitter yesterday, that's a great opportunity for Penn State to sell that and get another one year rental of, of a guy like that that can really help himself out and help his his visibility as a draft prospect. And then Jesse Lucetta made the move from linebacker to, to defense defensive end and you know he's he's a pro level guy that can stick there at defensive end as an edge rusher um so that that's going to i I, th- I still think he has a decision to make um again i've been on the fence or been on the side of the fence that says he's he is going to go but i think that ideally he could be that brisker guy. He could come back. Um, he's a late round pick right now. He could come back and really help himself be a full-time starter. I mean, that's the thing that you forget about with Jesse Lucchetta is he's split, still split starts with Nick Tarbert and all, all this year. And he's been effective in doing, he's been more, more effective of the two players, um, but he hasn't been a full-time starter for Penn State. So um, I, I would love to see him for his stock come back, but Again, I've been on the other side of the fence, thinking that he's going to go. He's going to what, turn twenty-three next year as well. So, all those three guys certainly deserve it. Um, you know, they they've really helped themselves, and and surprise, surprise, they're on the defensive side of the ball.
0: Until proven otherwise, I am just going to assume that AK's trajectory is going to keep swinging upward all the way to the draft because this kid came in sprinting in state college, Sean, and I mean he's he's got a great shot. He needs a sack and a half over the next three games to be the first double-digit sack artist for Penn State in a do, six-year do, span. Do you remember-
1: do you remember the conversation we 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 did or 24-7 sports did the transfer rankings and um this oh, was yeah. <laughs> as everything was coming out and they didn't reach out to us for for feedback and we had our one of our bosses on the phone. I'm like, what we provided. What are we doing anyways. <laughs> and and so the the initial rankings had Ebikiti pretty low and they had Antonio Shelton at like 25 overall. I'm like, guys, what are we doing here? And eventually we got through to the people that were doing the rankings like this kid is a stud. He's going to be very good and he's going to be drafted next year. um, No doubt about it. And that's really kind of how it played out. So that was just that that was a fun conversation that we had. That was back in the (laughs) winter or something like that. And uh, he's really made the most of it. And you got to got to credit him credit, John Scott too. I mean, that's, it's not Mm -hmm. easy to bring in a guy and he's a very talented guy. No doubt. AK has has been all over the place, uh, you know, for Penn state this year, but to bring in a guy that you don't know and, and make him a star, um, John Scott is going to have three defensive ends drafted, maybe even four if, if Lucetta comes out for defensive ends drafted in the last two years.
0: Yeah, by, by the way, John Scott w- was peeping a lot of praise on Jesse Lucchetta and kind of just saying it's been eye opening to watch how far he's come since week one at Wisconsin when he was asked to play a lot right away to where he was. And you're right, though, it's it's imagine him with a full year uh, of focus on defensive end because He was banged up in the spring. He wasn't out there in pads in the spring. This transition truly started for him on the field in August. And, uh, you know, you think about what if he has a full winter and spring in that room, uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot to gain there. And and I think with Lucetta, it's gonna be a conversation that he has with the staff and um and his family and everybody. But I'm very curious to hear, you know, where Penn State comes from with their plan because he was still playing linebacker uh last yeah. week. He played quite a bit of Mike linebacker. Um uh, is that something that you would kind of disattach Lucetta from? Would you keep him as that hybrid thing? Um, because they've kind of gone a week to week here. Do they have guys available? Who are they playing? Is that how you want to use Jesse Lucetta moving forward, or do you have a conversation? conversation? conversation and say, hey, let's fixate on what's going to be best for your long term future. This is going to be that role and you're going to play there for 12, 13, 14 games.
1: Well, it certainly would solidify defensive end pretty well. Yeah. Um, but you you know those numbers at, at linebacker are not good um in terms of the experience that they have coming back with Ellis Brooks moving on. And the other thing with Lucetta is it's not like he's leaving early. I mean, he's a he's a fourth mm-hmm. year senior. So he's he's played out that this would be his typical eligibility. Um, but with that COVID year, you've got an opportunity to 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 split that up and and be um, and, and really help yourself. But I'm um, curious to see. That's, that, that's one of the the intriguing off-season uh, storylines. Again, I come down on the fence that I think he'll, he'll go, but you know they can make a an intriguing pitch to him that he could come back and be a star.
0: And James Franklin said in Tuesday, on Tuesday, yeah, maybe don't pay too much attention to that senior day list this year because there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes in terms of who still wants to play college football and who may be ready to move on. Um, we'll talk about that list and kind of break down a little more of that dynamic next episode when we also give you our final thoughts and predictions on the Penn state Rutgers matchup, a uh, five-star mailbag time, Sean, and it takes us to the recruiting trail. Interesting question coming our way with Katron Allen using an official visit at Florida state last week. What does that mean for his status in this Penn state class, considering the staff's standard policy with committed recruits?
1: Well, the hand quotes here, standard policy um, changes a little bit for everybody, doesn't it? Um, you, you look at what Catron Allen did. He took an official visit to Florida State last weekend, but you got to consider the circumstances here. Bunch of IMG kids were going to there. We're going to Florida State. It's interesting to me because the feedback that we've gotten from the Florida State side of things is they're not all that hot on Catron Allen. They, they love Javante Barnes, who's a phenomenal back from, uh, from Las Vegas um, that Penn State actually offered and had recruited as well. Um, So that's an interesting, you got to take that into account. Um, And I think, you know, Penn State has enough contacts in Florida uh, with, with the Florida State guys to know where he sits on their board. So you take that into account. This is not a Jordan Allen situation. I mean, he, they knew that Catron Allen was taking the trip to uh, to to Florida State. They didn't want him to, um, but sometimes you got to pack up and you got to uh, understand the situation and the scenario and go with that. Jordan Allen, they found out by reading a twenty four seven Sports report that he was going to pop up at at Ole Miss over the weekend or over that weekend. And and let's be honest, not all, not all these guys are. I don't want to say created equal but not all these guys are are on the same plane here. I mean you're talking t- talking about a really good uh, running back from a place like IMG and that's going to, you know, c- carry some weight as well. Um, not all positions are the same. I know Tyler had referenced before going before we went on about RJ Adams, the former offensive lineman um, from who ended up at Kentucky from Northern Virginia. Um, he took a, a trip to Kentucky, and Penn State has essentially cut him loose as well. Well, I mean, he's a guard, he's a center. You can find a lot of those guys out there. We're not getting into that discussion with Penn State's offensive line, but he's a guard, he's a center. If he's an offensive tackle, maybe that's a different story. Ktron Allen's a running back. There's, uh, you know, he's a really good running back. And although you do have Nick Singleton, you don't want to lose him, but you, you still, um, probably treat that a little bit different than you would a linebacker, you know, an off interior offensive lineman, somebody like that. Um, so it's uh it's a funny situation, uh, that standard policy is not the same for everybody. And as, as long as it's understood on both sides, what they're trying to do, you can work through that. Now, I think Penn state does keep Allen as we're hearing right now, um, you know, it, again, I don't know that Florida State was the biggest threat to uh, threat to Penn State in this one. Um, a lot of IMG guys going. It's just there's just a lot of things that that go into this situation. And Penn State, you know, they kind of get a little leverage here in that they can. Keep talking to their longtime prospects, Ramon Brown at Virginia Tech, who Justin Fuente just got fired yesterday. So you keep that uh, that iron in the fire with Ramon Brown. George Petaway at, at UNC, they almost got him up for a visit right before he visit, right before he committed to, to North Carolina in, in September or October earlier this season. Um, so you've kept those lines of communication open, and you do that with every position because you just don't know what's going to come up. Uh, this is the time of year where guys start sneaking visits guys start popping up at at other schools and uh Katron Allen excuse me Katron Allen has gone elsewhere Zane Durant was at Miami a couple of weeks ago and of course we know Jordan Allen was uh was a guy that popped up elsewhere I mean Jordan Allen was was not hard to jettison Uh, those other two guys maybe a little bit uh maybe a little bit of a different story
0: four weeks from today Sean uh the early sign starts across college football so that countdown is on uh and that's Hanging in the background in a big way here, we we spent a lot of time this episode talking about everything going on, swirling around the program. We didn't even mention that they're trying to balance what is currently the Big Ten's top-ranked recruiting class and get that to the finish line on signing day. It's, it, it's not an easy thing to do when the on-field product is, is sliding like it has been. So four weeks from today, Sean, we'll find yep, out.
1: Four, I can't wait. Cannot wait. <laughs>
0: Uh, we'll be with you on Thursday for our final episode before that Rutgers Penn State kickoff, uh, breaking down uh, the matchup, talking about our predictions and whatever else pops up from Wednesday night practice. You can catch all of our, our coverage from our practice availability, from upcoming player calls and James Franklin's post-practice conversation up on lions247.com. Check all that out. Follow us on YouTube as well. Catch every episode there at Lions 247 Thanks to our producer, Lance Glenn. Thanks again to Bobby Darren, And thanks to my co-host, Sean Fitz. I am Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast.